You're listening to The Essentials. The Essentials is a developmental podcast of the Eastern PA District of the Alliance. We develop kingdom workers for increasing gospel impact. With The Essentials, we invite you to be part of a conversation that asks the core question, what is essential in church ministry? Here's your host, David Dixon, with Nate Howard and Alan Rathbun. Welcome back to the Essentials Podcast. I don't know about you guys, but this has been an incredible conversation so far. Not just the podcast itself, but the conversations that it's led to with the workers and pastors of our district. Uh, So Nate, Allen, and I have really enjoyed this and look forward to continuing this conversation with you about what is essential in church ministry. Yeah, and we hope that you'll really use this. Um, We hope that this will spawn conversations with other pastors, I mean, our idea would be that pastors would meet with their church leadership, walk through this, check out the resources. We really want to catalyze a great conversation. Yeah, and don't don't underestimate how much ministry, fruitful ministry, happens in conversations. Our conversations about our people with God and our conversations about uh, God with our people. There's so much that happens in there that really bears fruit. That's right. And in our first three episodes, we spent our time working through why we need these conversations, what we believe the essential end of church ministry is, and how central the gospel, a gospel-based response is to that end. And so I would encourage you that if you have not already listened to those episodes, to go ahead and pause or, or go back to those right now and listen to them, because as we get into this next section, uh, we're really going to be building on what we've talked about already. And so you'd get a much richer experience experience if you've been a part of the conversation with us up to this point. So as we move forward today, I want to set the stage with just kind of a a quick reminder of the basic frame of thought uh, that we've come through so far. We started with the question, is what is big to Jesus big to us? And that really led us uh, to dig deep and look at what is essential for church ministry. Uh, And as we did that, we began to break down some terms. We talked about the essential ends, the essential means and the tools. And so here's what we mean by those. And then I'll give an illustration to kind of hopefully connect them together. So in the essential ends, we're talking about an identifiable ultimate outcome. And in the illustration that we used of a shoe factory, Uh, the ultimate outcome would be to produce shoes. Then we had the essential means, which would be a required identifiable part that naturally leads to an an essential end. So these could be the materials, uh, the equipment, the the training needed to produce a shoe. Uh, And then there's the essential tools. And so these are the parts that are necessary to pull it off. So in the shoe factory illustration, we're thinking like the machines uh, that might be needed that they're uh, maybe not the people involved, but they're the parts necessary uh, to be able to pull it off. So using those definitions and from our perspective, we said uh, that the essential end of church ministry is whole heart transformation, being with, treasuring, and becoming like Jesus through mission and trial. And we broke down how that end is centered around the redemptive work and promises of Jesus. And so now what we'd like to do is shift from talking about the essential end to talking about the essential means to that end. And so as we do, let's revisit the importance of differentiating between the two and the pitfalls of confusing the two. 
Yeah, so it's so important to um, be able to identify what our end is because our tendency sometimes can be to give ourselves to the means and um, and and really it, without actually it leading to the end. In other words, whatever means we're using, like um, small groups or church services or or the preaching even of God's word. Those means are only effective if they help us achieve our ultimate end that we're aiming for. So it's it's just way too easy for us to give ourselves to the means and not to the end. So we have to keep that in mind. Yeah. And then I think we often tend to start measuring ourselves by the means and not the end. So, for example, Bible study is an excellent means toward the end we're aiming for. But we don't measure, oh, we just had 20 people come to Bible study, so now we're actually being fruitful in ministry just because we had 20 people come to Bible study. So if the essential end uh, is whole heart transformation, then what do you see as the essential means toward that end? Well, I'm sure that um, as people have this conversation, there'll be different opinions here, but I'll throw out mine. Um <laughs> I would say that wholehearted transformation, we cannot do that on our own or in isolation. Um, it's just impossible that someone with their own Bible all by themselves is going to be able to, over the course of their life, experience the transformation that Jesus requires and to do that on their own. So the context for transformation will always be relationships. And the second thing is that we typically don't feel the need for that kind of change without some kind of trial. Um, and it doesn't have to be um, a, a trial that we really dislike or a trial yeah. that we really don't want to be around, but it, it has to um, it has to include what I would call the pressures of life. So change, you put those two things together, transformation will happen when people are walking together in honest, open relationships, um, I'd say gospel-saturated relationships, but that are happening through the midst of the trials of life or the pressures of life. Yeah, and I think a really good illustration for that for me has been, like, I look back over my life, two of the most sanctifying or transforming experiences in my life has been marriage and parenthood. Now, I wouldn't ever want to call them a trial, uh, um, but here's the deal. Um, my wife and I are, are both sinners saved by the grace of Jesus. And sometimes we have differing opinions on things, but we also are both completely committed to our relationship. So in order for our, us, our marriage to grow, there's a certain amount of pressure on us to, uh, we can put that pressure on each other or we can let that pressure help us lean into Jesus together and talk about how Jesus is working in us together. And you know, there's all kinds of pressures that come up day to day. But even as I look back in my life, there have been things that necessarily weren't trials. But as we felt that pressure together, they shaped us together and made us both more like Jesus. You know, so trial, something horrible, not necessarily everyday pressures of life, like the pressures that are turning, uh, you know, that piece of sand into a diamond. Right. And the thing is, like the, the two ex examples you use are marriage and kids like those you you don't want to readily walk away from them. I mean, yeah, you love them. You yeah, love absolutely. Them. <laughs> absolutely. So there's this draw of community in those relationships, but then there's this challenge yeah. of the pressures yeah. of life and sometimes just plain trial. It's just plain yeah. hard. But what happens in church is 
we, we think that we can opt out of the community side, the relationship side, when the pressures of life increase. But at that point, we're missing one of God's key means for our wholehearted transformation yeah. is a community lived out in the pressures of life. Yeah. So I want to bring as a part of this discussion, the definition that, that we've worked through for the essential means. I'll say it uh, and then we're going to focus on one part of it and for today's podcast. Uh, but we what we're saying is the essential means towards the end of whole heart transformation is a gospel saturated community that is filled with people that are fluent in the gospel, particularly in trial boldly taking faith-filled risks on mission with Jesus and has leadership that embraces the challenges of change. And as we're talking about gospel-saturated community, uh, we're, th- when we talk about the gospel in that way, we're talking about the collection of promises that are based on who Jesus is and what he has done, that that actually permeates or, again, the word we're using is saturated, covers, it's in all of those things uh, that it leads to a people that are fluent on mission with Jesus and leadership that embraces So just to, just to repeat, the, the three means is that sense of community that comes through relationships in trial, mm-hmm. being on mission that has some level of risk, and leadership that embraces change. Those are the three means that we would say are key for wholehearted transformation. I would definitely agree with that. And I think a lot of times people aim for mission or community. And Hmm. in reality, (laughs) it's hard to get one without the other. You know, if you're trying to have community, but there's no common mission, you're not going to really form well together. But if you're trying to pursue mission, but you're not working as a community, you're not gonna be nearly as fruitful. There's, they always both benefit when they're both pursued together. We probably should just throw in here as well that people will say, well, aren't there some things missing in your means? Like where's the Bible or where's prayer or where's the presence <laughs> we are of the not Holy ignoring Spirit? The Bible. <laughs> so that will come up, especially when we talk about key tools, but we're, we're talking about the essential means that must be practiced that will lead us to the essential end of wholehearted transformation. That's right. So. As we're, we're going to spend these next few episodes talking about a gospel-saturated community that includes these three things, we're going to be focusing on the first one, the people that are gospel-fluent, particularly in trial today. But this word community is a word that is thrown around, or I feel like has been thrown around since forever in church ministry. So what are we seeing uh in church culture or in the world around us that leads us to center our means for whole heart transformation on a gospel saturated community. Well, one of the things that I would throw in right away is that we, we have to talk about a gospel saturated community because the truth is, is that among our churches, we're often more shaped by the culture around us than by what God's word says. And um, our culture doesn't always lend itself to a true sense of community. I, I heard it said once that the definition of good of a good neighbor is someone who basically leaves you alone, and if they do borrow your tools, they return them. That that's about the extent. <laughs> that's about the extent of community or neighboring uh, we have in our culture. So there's things that are about our life that unless they unless we swim upstream against them, we're probably not going to experience community. Yeah, I think so. And we do have a community, I think, that just like since the fall, it tends towards isolation. Mm -hmm. And certainly our current circumstances are not helping that. 
Uh, but you can go back as far as like Robert Frost, who said that good fences make good neighbors. There you go. You know, yeah. and that's, that's yeah. not a it's not a helpful thought. I understand the idea of boundaries, but it, it pushes us farther towards our isolation. I think another one is uh, that we are a um, a culture that we're shaped by saving face. Like we, we mm. don't, we always yeah. want to put on the, the, the best face. We always want to present ourselves well. And that's really contrary to community, particularly when trial hits us, you know, because then we just put on the good face, you know, I'm trusting God, I'm making through it. So even in church, apart from the prayer chain, you know, that most churches have, we're not really good at embracing trial like James 1 teaches us to rejoice in it because we're going to be transformed people through it. So we have a lot of platitudes. We have a lot of cliches. We have little language for grief, for anger, for sadness. Mm -hmm. And we're really good at knowing what a good Christian is supposed to look like in the middle of difficulty. But all of those things sometimes run contrary to what really authentic community that's 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 a, a means to wholehearted transformation. Yeah, and it's funny you say safe face because really underneath that isn't there also a belief that the individual is supposed to be able to do all and be all on their own and and or that the individual is actually more important or greater than the community uh, or family. Right. Because what's one of the, one of the most difficult aspects of bringing people together, I'd say, in church ministry is just the significant busyness of lives. But that busyness is primarily focused around uh, themselves or an agenda they have or an agenda yeah. that they yeah. have within their within their family. And so what happens is, is in we we try to simulate community then and it ends up becoming almost like two planets that are orbiting different stars and that we only come into proximity for like these short windows, like a Sunday morning service. And then we swirl back around out into our, into our own orbits. And we can really spend the rest of our time in our own orbit or getting into others orbits, or even in the isolation of our own star, we kind of go off on our own. We swing into orbit for, you know, where we're close to other planets for a little bit. And then we swing back out and that's how we live. And that's often what we call community in the church. And you can do that whole orbit metaphor around the concept of essentials. So our life orbits around what we think is essential. And so we have all of these families, all of these individuals that their lives are orbiting around something that is for them essential. But when they come together in church, they're actually coming together around a non-essential for them, something that is secondary, something that is just kind of a piece of their life so that we're not really orbiting together around wholehearted transformation that's shaped by the gospel. Yeah. Yeah, it's like we have, you know, if you just find a picture for churches, this massive Venn diagram, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> the little, we have all these uh, circles that represent each person there and the little tiny sliver uh, that represents the overlap in that Venn diagram is is there's no room for Jesus in it to really to really yeah. shape that you know it, it's sad to say it that way but it really is that that one hour experience and maybe if they're in a small group or something maybe there's some kind of additional overlap there but we're not seeing that central orbit where Jesus is treasured uh, and he's the point that we're just actively yeah. trusting him together. And, and that leads to superficial community yeah. where when you are walking through the pressures or trials of life, 
you don't really have a relationship with somebody else to go to mm-hmm. or, you know, I mean, that's what we, the classic definition of fellowship is we're going to have a meal after church. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. And talk Which, about sports and talk about sports. Right. Which right. I mean is fun and all, but it's really superficial. It's surface level. It never goes beyond that. Uh, or we keep people, we have, we're friendly on the outside, but we are not really welcoming or hospitable on the inside. And that's not really what gospel saturated community looks like. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many churches that I have interacted with that would say, oh, we are a friendly church and they are friendly towards each other, but it's really hard to get inside the actual orbit around Jesus together because for one thing that orbit doesn't exist because they all start living their separate orbit lives uh, and it's really important for us to help our people orbit around Jesus together. I think another factor that's got us to where we uh, are here or that is part of our current reality is that we don't really have vocabulary or training or experience to talk about the gospel or uh, again, all of the promises of God that are rooted in who Jesus is and what he's done, we don't have a lot of practice of relating that to the everyday uh, stuff of our life. Yeah, I, a friend of mine is a, a hospice chaplain, and uh, he says that one of the frequent things that he encounters are, are people that they would say they're believers, but they're getting to the end of their life and they're not sure if they're going to heaven when they when they when they uh, die. Yeah. And for him, that's an excellent opportunity to share some peace and the, and the hope that we have in Jesus and to see if they really are trusting him. But as we as we had a conversation recently, uh, it it seems that a lot of people, they see the gospel as, you know, they get forgiven. So that takes care of their past. And then they see heaven. And so that takes care of their future. But they don't really, it's like they become a Christian. Then they start trying to live according to principles, but they aren't shown how to actively trust Jesus in, as Nate said, the everyday stuff of life. Right. So the gospel is past or future, right. but we don't develop the trust muscles in the gospel in who Jesus is and yep. what he's done. Yep. We actually give our trust to something else in the in the present tense of our life. Well, no wonder we come to the end of our life and we struggle with the, the big muscle of trusting Christ through our passing, yep. you know, out of this life right. into the next. If we haven't exercised those those trust muscles, you know, in the everyday present yeah. tense stuff of life. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, I definitely made that mistake early in ministry where I, I certainly was very active in trying to lead people to Jesus. And if they received Jesus, then it was almost like, OK, now I'm going to show you how to live by the principles of Jesus. Right. But I didn't always show them how to live actively trusting Jesus just to live by his principles. And it's easy to get those separated, but that happens a lot in our churches. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even the as you're bringing up these things, we recognize that there's some maybe some things that we've learned along the way that have not been helpful to us in this area of community, whether that's through our own culture or ways that we've emphasized maybe the past and just the past and future aspects of the gospel, not as much the present. So I want to add, like, what are what are some of the things either culturally within the church or within our nation or even just Western thought that have led us to think about community in that way? Well, I, I think one of them is that we tend to do church and the relationships or the community among church. We tend to do that in the same way that our family does relationship together. 
So uh, you could you could say that church systems are family system, systems drawn together, or that the way that church does relationship is a reflection of the way that family does relationship. So often families have never been trained or, or have never been developed in, in really navigating the pressures of life well, so no wonder churches wouldn't know how to do that. Yeah, it's funny you said because even when I think of like education, like we've been taught to uh, take this class, read this book. It's really growth and isolation. It's not necessarily within the context of the family or the community. It's been really about, okay, now I go do these things. Now you can come back and contribute in whatever way. But really that learning has been is- been yeah. isolated. And our educational system is more about the transfer of, of information. So, you know, you study this and you repeat it in a test and you get an A. But maybe there's no change in your life, no change in your worldview, no change in your value at all. You're not wholeheartedly changed by that, but you can, you can repeat back the information and you get an A. In church, we tend to do the same. We tend to transfer information. Yeah. rather than pursue transformation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sums up like my entire high school Spanish, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, but he, <laughs> Nate, lived in Ecuador for uh, eight years. Yeah, I was in South you know, America for 10 years. Yeah, yeah, so he had an immersion experience. You and I had an information I say, experience. I had great grades in all yeah, three <laughs> years of my Spanish class and cannot speak a word of it yep. because it was about the transfer yep. of information. That's right. I think another one, and this is really getting into some scary territory, but... Since the the Protestant Reformation um, and, and the shift to the centrality of the Word of God, which all of us would say a triple amen to that, mm-hmm. we've amen. often come to the conclusion that if we come to church, hear the Word of God preached, that we've done church, that, that, that the essential is that the Word is proclaimed, not necessarily that the Word is transforms us or changes us just that we hear it so so often we we feel really successful if we're good preachers and we're preaching to a lot of people which again we would say those are all great things but is that the end so it's that confusing again of the means ends conversation yeah and and what we end up with is too much what and too little how you know people learn all this information, uh, good gospel, good teaching of scripture, but they're not shown how to actively trust Jesus and obey everything he commands. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, some of the, the current reality, what led us there, but let's shift to maybe what would it look like if there was a gospel saturated community where the people engaged one another through the gospel in the trials and pressures of life, like what would that look like? Or, or what would the loss be that would be required to get there? So imagine a people who would be close enough in relationships that we would be encouraging each other to think, to feel, to perceive and to act or do everything in our life in the light of the gospel, that that we would be people that would talk about how the gospel is influencing our interaction with the life that we're living. We would, we would live our life through the lens that Jesus applies to everything. 
And what you describe right there, that's uh, what Jeff Vanderstel refers to as gospel fluency. Yeah. That we actually begin to, it's not just that we've learned uh, a few phrases here and there, but that we're actually thinking, perceiving the world through that lens. And that always will require, the gospel always um, confronts us in the area of the way that we are currently doing life. So that kind of transformation will require that we let go of other things that we have trusted for a sense of salvation, security, meaning, value in our life up until now. So what would it look like if we moved down this path? Things would have to change. And yeah. I think that that's where the rub comes because because often the things that we're giving ourselves to that we feel are really, really important, what's going to happen when we realize they're not so important? Are we going to be willing to let them go? Yeah. And I think one of the easiest ways to see how that could develop is that really every person in a church would have a couple people in their lives who they talk about the transforming power of Jesus and his good news uh, uh, into the stuff of everyday life. You know, stop and think for a moment in our churches, how many people actually have a couple of people in their lives who that's the kind of conversations they have on a regular basis. Yeah. And and so like this would not lead to the diminishing of the preached word of God. No, absolutely not. But the, the celebration of the importance of preaching isn't that we just celebrate that it was preached, but we celebrate that now our community is talking about what was preached. I, I remember years ago being really influenced when we lived in Ecuador by a book I read in Spanish called El Discípulo. It means the disciple. disciple. And it was by... I got that. Hey, I got that. Man. I got that. <laughs> it was Juan Carlos Ortiz, who was a pastor in Argentina, and I'm not necessarily recommending everything because I, I don't know everything about his ministry and all that, but the, the one thing that stood out is when their church um, pursued a path of wholehearted transformation, it changed the way that they preached. And he, he determined that they would preach towards transformation. So instead of laying out a calendar year with tons and tons of information, they laid out a calendar year of their preaching that would lead to transformation and they would measure it. Or I remember years ago hearing um, a guy named um, Oswald Smith. He's a, a kind of a famous pastor mm-hmm. associated with the Alliance, the People's Church in Toronto. And the story was told of he preached a sermon one week and of course nobody talked about it. <laughs> happens to me that, too. That, like, that never happens. I, I preach these about. awesome <laughs> sermons and then I go into to the lobby and people are talking about, you know, something completely unrelated. They go like, where's the impact there? So anyway, he preached one sermon uh, one Sunday. The, the next week he preached the exact same sermon. The third week he preached the exact same sermon and people took notice and they, the elders came to him and said, um, I don't know if you realize you've preached the same sermon three weeks in a row. He said, yeah, actually I'm going to preach it four weeks in a row until you all are transformed by what God says. Mm. Now I'm not necessarily <laughs> suggesting that, but, but you see the, the there's probably some pastors that would like that. Yeah. Make sermon prep a little That's easier. Right. <laughs> but the mindset is shift. We don't just preach for information. We preach for transformation. That that's what it would take. Yeah. yeah. And I think about that too, even in a practical way, how many, you know, when I think of the rhythms and habits of our church in terms of programs, events, things that we do, how much of it has become so centralized or so scheduled in that we really don't have the space within our lives to be able to interact uh, on a community level? 
uh, where we're doing so much that we never get to the conversations about right. life or pressures right. or whatever's going on, let alone to be able to speak the gospel into right. those things along the way. Yeah, and I think this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that when we start to focus on the means instead of the end, then we think, wow, we have to fit all these means in so we can be successful in these means. And then I think what happens is we start thinking more about efficiency than effectiveness. Hmm. How can we be efficient in doing all these means? How American uh, of you. Yes, I know. But <laughs> but when we focus on the end, that really helps us to focus on effectiveness. When we focus on the means, we think too much about efficiency. I think also a, a shift that this would lead towards is the feel of our church, our, our the relationships of our church would be really different because we would all be in this process of repentance. We yeah. would all be walking through the challenges of mm-hmm. life, the pressures of life, sometimes doing stuff that's like, why do I have to do this? Like, God, why are you doing this? But we would start to find a language to talk about pain yeah. and misplaced trust. And I think actually the level of humility in our congregations would rise because we would all find that we're all pretty much the same. We're all people with disordered values that Jesus is transforming us through one experience after another. And we would have that sense of rejoicing together like, wow, like God really is changing us. Yeah. Yeah, and we make room for those kind of conversations, whether it's one-on-one or even in a worship gathering. It can it can wholeheartedly change the whole way that we look at our day-to-day life, even if, though it's only part of that hour and a half on a, on a Sunday morning. So, for instance, yesterday I was meeting with our leaders at our Mosaic City uh, church plant, and they were talking about how they made room for people to witness to the work of God in their lives. Right. And they were so blown away by this one person that shared their struggles in learning to trust Jesus in day-to-day life that they went home and they talked about it over their lunch. And then they came back and said, I-, I need to share that next week. And so now like they sense this whole, what's going on is that people are actually starting to talk with each other about what does it mean to follow Jesus day to day? And I know we talked about this before, but imagine how that's going to influence people that are unchurched around us, yeah. or if they would walk into our church services and, and hear stuff like that, because Again, our gospel typically is rooted in the past, which again is great, and it focuses on the future, mm-hmm. which again yeah, is, is wonderful. Is great. <laughs> but the present tense implications of the gospel, as we become people that talk about that more and more, the people that are unchurched around us will say, wow, you're actually talking about the same pressures that I feel in life, but you talk about it in a way that Jesus is relevant. I want to know more about Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. So that sense of present tense transformation is a great apologetic for the gospel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another loss that might come up as you would seek to move towards a gospel saturated community, especially for pastors or workers, is that uh, there might be a sense of loss that people would actually come to depend on the pastor less. And mm. I think there's some fear in that of, wow, like, am I still worth my <laughs> salary or what the church is, yeah. you know, uh, am I still worth being in this role if that shifts away? Because really in a gospel saturated community, people are caring for one another. Uh, again, we highlight one of the, the things that's important to that is leadership that embraces change. So we'll talk about that later. But there's a sense of if we're not as dependent on, is that OK? 
And what we're saying is, is yeah, it's actually encouraged Mm-hmm. Because it's when the community is living out in their faith together through the pressures of life is when really God's working in more incredible ways. There's so many uh, different avenues that God can work instead of just through one, two, three, four, five people in leadership. Yeah, I think it could look like actually less programming in our church. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So not just less pastor centered, but maybe less less building centered. Like maybe there's fewer things that are happening in our church buildings because when the orbit of life isn't just the touch point for our orbits isn't just of 45 minutes or an hour on Sunday morning but when we begin to orbit around wholehearted transformation that happens in community in a gospel saturated community Mm -hmm. we might find that our people are together more but they're just not together at church more yeah and Mm. and this is one of those things I I think people are so hungry for this so hungry for gospel saturated community the 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 challenge and what we're working through here and why we're asking these questions is because it's not always so clear and easy to see how to get there mm-hmm. but i think if we if we w- begin to work in this direction the hunger will drive us to say yes that, that's that, that's what we need. We need Jesus to transform us as a people together. And as we embrace that and walk through it together, we will see God do some incredible things in transforming our hearts. But I think we also need to be aware that there will be people that don't want that. It's true. And we have to be willing to say, is this so important that we're willing to say, hey, we love you, but this is what we're doing. And if that means you're going to walk away, then we're okay with that. That's not, it's a big cost. Yeah. That can happen, right? That's the third means is leadership that's going to embrace that kind of challenge. My wife, um, I mean, you guys know her well, but uh, there was a time in Sharon's life in our where we lived in Jersey where people actually would see Sharon coming and they would go the other way. Hmm. I mean, is she to me, she's the sweetest person in the entire world. But even this morning, we were having a conversation. She said, you know, Nate, I don't think people always want what I bring. And it's because she brings the gospel into the real everyday stuff of life. And the truth is the people, the reason, you know, as we got to know the people in Jersey more, they would say the reason we went to away from Sharon is because she was going to ask us to talk about our heart. She was going to mm-hmm. ask us to talk about the important things in our life and where Jesus fits into that. And the truth is we didn't want to talk about that. <laughs> that's, that's a, that's at least they were, they were honest enough yeah. to say that. At least. Well, that was later on. At the first, they just would run away. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Oh, my goodness. So let's say someone's listening to this podcast and they say, yes, that's that's where we want to go. That's the direction we want to take uh, our church or ministry. What questions uh, would you say that need to be asked or what, what's some of the way forward towards a gospel saturated community? Well, if if anybody is in agreement with us that the essential end is wholehearted transformation is gospel based. Um, right. If that's the end and the means has something to do with community that is living together in the middle of the pressures and trials of life. Um, if that's if that's what we're aiming for, the, the question I would ask is, is our current approach working mm-hmm. like like what we do as a church, our programming, all that like there is a design in our current structure of our church is the current design of our church yielding yeah. the end that we're that we're that, that we that we really want to move towards and is there is there space in our programming to to engage in this means of 
a community that is uh, connected well through trial. Mm. Yeah, so the same way I would ask that question is, is do how do the habits or rhythms right. Right. of our church foster that kind of community? What are the things that we do, whether that's week in, week out, month in, month out, you know, quarterly, in and out? What are the habits? How do we do the things? And sometimes it's not just the do we do them, but how do we do them in the, that's the rhythms, the habits of it all that foster that kind of community. Yeah. And I think I love the way you put that with habits and rhythms because, you know, really the habits that we have, even in our worship times, higher church, people like to call that liturgy, Right. but we can even in those things, those habits have a way of helping people to consider the gospel implications for their lives. And we can spur them on, uh, and create habits for them to fostering relationships that do that. Uh, but it does take habits to develop. It's not just, oh, go do this, because it's going to have to be something that is like, anytime I start a new habit in my life, it's like the first four weeks or so is rough. Mm-hmm. you know. And that's just the way it's going to be with this. If we're going to foster those kind of habits and rhythms, we're going to have to... Pursue through some of those times, like you were talking about with Sharon, like, I don't want to talk about this, but you right. persist through that to develop new habits that people are going to be thankful for later. Yeah, you get put the inertia or the, yes. the, the awkwardness right. even of it, right? Yes. Where you're saying, oh, well, we're not going to just do the same way anymore. We're going to begin to have, we want to have community in this way. And people are like, just kind of staring at each other, but it's pushing through those things to yes. say, no, this is actually what is valuable Absolutely. to us. So as leaders, um, if we're talking about the questions that we have to ask ourselves is, we will have to learn as leaders to ask ourselves questions of, um, what does Jesus think, feel, or say about something that we're experiencing? So, I mean, just take any kind of pressure or trial that as a pastor or as a church leader I'm experiencing, and to start to look at that through the lens of, of what does Jesus have to say? So, uh, you know, I tend to feel very concerned about how my sermons go. And I would guess that probably 80 to 90% of the pastors out there, like they really ramp up emotionally and in every way for that sermon. Why is it that we respond as we do when the, the sermon falls flat? Is it truly because we what's big to Jesus is big to me and is changing me in that area of life that I think about a lot? Or is it because something's really important to me that's not really that important to Jesus and I'm using my performance as a preacher to secure for myself something that is actually provided for in the gospel? I mean, that's a gospel yeah. conversation around a pressure that I'm feeling in my life and I'm going to have to start to ask myself those questions and not just do that in isolation, but to do that talking with somebody else. That's the path that yeah. we're going to have to be willing to walk down. Yeah. And to take that to the variety of right. things that are in there. I mean, I right. think of another example of that is like baptism. Right. Uh, growing up, I remember when people were baptized, there was like this dull clap when people come out of the water. And I was, this is just so strange that this is like a big moment right, in right. somebody's life. And here we are clapping, you know, like my grandmother won bingo or something. And, st- <laughs> you know, uh, but really, this is a moment of someone moving from death to life. And so how does Jesus feel about that? Mm. Well, the Bible is pretty clear. Yeah. Jesus is is Celebrating. excited. Right, right. Yeah. And so are we excited about it? Because that's how he feels about right. those kinds of moments. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. I think one of the questions we're going to have to ask ourselves is, uh, this this sounds a bit like um, counterintuitive. I hate to say that. I mean, to think gospelly um, is not just <laughs> the way that we're wired. So how are we going to develop ourselves and others to think and to lead in this way. So are there some tools that we maybe would want to recommend that have been helpful for us that we could throw up for them? Well, I think you're uh, you're making one of those tools pretty famous in Eastern PA anyhow, Nate, uh, the gospel ladder. Um, so, you know, unpack that really briefly for us. I'd really... You're I'm going to actually ask David to do oh, that because he has uh, a little bit of turn on that, and uh, so he can do that as well. So I'm actually going to, instead of using the ladder, <laughs> I'm right. going to use uh, the one that uh, I've used probably more often is the Fruit to Root, which actually comes out of uh, Jeff Vanderstelt's Gospel Fluency book, which, make a small plug for District Conference yes. uh, in October. Come here, Jeff. Um, but in, in the Fruit to Root, it starts out with this idea of a tree. And that as you look at the fruit on the tree, uh, it, it might be uh, fear or frustration, but what are the things that are underneath that? Uh, we get into questions like, what am I believing about myself? Uh, then what is uh, true? If, if that's what I'm believing about myself, then what is that saying about what I'm believing about God? And then you, what, you, what ends up happening is you end up getting to the root of that and then realizing that that sounds really strange because that's not what we would say that we believe, but in reality, it's what we're functionally believing in yeah. the moment. Yeah. And so it leads us on a path to say, well, what do I really believe about? God? And that's a Holy Jesus. Spirit moment. Yeah. It is yeah. a Holy Spirit I mean, Spirit really, moment. that's, you're getting at what is faith and repentance. It's turning right. from unbelief right. yep. towards belief. And so yep. as I realize this truth that I'm not believing, I can turn towards belief in Jesus and say, you know what? Uh, God is good. God is gracious. I don't have to be afraid because God has made these promises to me. How do I know that? I know that because Jesus has died uh, on my behalf. He rose from the dead to prove his power over sin and death. And so I, out of that then, out of that, that the repentance in faith, comes the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so beautiful. there's a there's we have to think like that. And those there's tools like that, mm -hmm. like that fruit to root. Or the gospel ladder. Or the gospel ladder mm -hmm. that are helpful mm -hmm. to begin to process what's really underneath. What are the gospel heart things that are there underneath some of the fruit that we see. Fruit of those kind of exercises is it helps people realize that that faith is not just some mental assent to things, but it's an active experience. You know, I I've gone. I've gone on to trying to use the word trust more than I use the word faith because, you know, I, even now as I'm sitting in this chair, I'm trusting it to hold me up. Now we do have a mysterious chair somewhere in our office that whatever it is, the hydraulics on it don't work. So if you sit in it, you're gonna sink in it, and you're gonna be like, oh man, I hate that thing. I didn't want this chair. I don't trust that chair. You know what I mean? And I always I, seem to get that. Chair. I know it's so frustrating. But it, when we come to Faith, we tend to think, oh, you know, I just believe this. But trust is actually saying, yes, wow, this is really true, what Jesus says. And sometimes I'm not trusting that. I'm trusting something else, which we need to repent from and turn it around. Yeah. So, so today you have heard us lay out some really big concepts. Uh, we've talked about gospel a saturated community uh, and a people that are, are fluent in, in the gospel, particularly through trial. I mean, we've laid out some big stuff. And so we, we recognize 
that in these 40 whatever minutes that we're, we have with you that we're not going to be able to cover it all. But this is why we would encourage uh, and invite you to not just listen with us, but to begin to talk with others about this, uh, to talk with us here in the district team about it, uh, and really ask these questions about what is essential, what are the essential ends and the means of our church ministry. And so if you'd like to continue joining us in this, we've created some discussion questions for you uh, to help you process with your leadership team or with other pastors or workers. You can find those uh, on our website at epdalliance.org slash essentials. uh, And we pray that those are helpful and beneficial to you. Uh, As we wrap up this episode and we look ahead to our next, uh, in our next episode, we're going to be continuing this frame of thought about the essential means of a gospel saturated community. But we're going to shift towards talking about uh, mission and faith filled risk and the role that that plays uh, in the community towards whole heart transformation. So, again, I want to say thank you for joining us here on the Essentials podcast. Uh, We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to The Essentials. To join in our conversation, please visit epdalliance.org essentials to find discussion questions for your church and more content related to increasing gospel impact. We hope you will join us for our next episode.